Hey guys, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Praise the Lord here at Hope Baptist Church. We've got an exciting day ahead of us. I'm excited about our message. Uh, first off, I want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for the opportunity we'll have to spend together this morning. I pray that it'll be something that'll minister to your heart. I know that it's already ministered to my heart this week. So let's pray and open up this service, and then we'll jump right into things. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for today. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are online with us this morning. God, I thank you for the, uh, the calling you've placed on our hearts, God, the mission that you've placed before us. And Lord, uh, the opportunity we're given in this world, Lord, with all the strife and all the things going on, Lord, this world needs peace. And Father, I pray that you'll use my brothers and sisters to tell that story, to share the truth of the Word of God, that peace might rest upon the hearts of those that are dealing with discontent. God, thank you for the work you've done in this little church. Thank you for using this ministry. Lord, to touch lives not only in our local area, but around the world. And God, I do praise you for all that you've done. Lord, I pray that you'll guide us now. Lord, bless us. And Lord, use the message today for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to remind you, thank you for all of you that have been faithful in your giving, paying your tithes. Praise the Lord. And we do have missions work going around the world. We're excited about that. And we'll be able to share some things that are happening in the very near future of something uh, exciting and new, actually, we have coming up. Uh, you'll have an opportunity to see in just a matter of a few weeks an opportunity to get involved in a work in Hungary. So anyway, let us jump into our message. Let's look at what we're jumping into. We're gonna, guys, we're moving in the great escape, right? But at the same time, through the whole story of the great escape, which has been the book of Exodus that we've been working through now, this is our 76 method, message. Um, we are now doing a little mini-series inside of there called A Willing Heart. And in this mini-series, we're looking at the, the aspect of giving and the aspect of building. It's all working towards the tabernacle. That's what we're looking at. So last week's instructions regarding the offering for the materials, that was given. And what we saw was that people had a choice. They could either uh, respond and rise to the challenge, and they could provide what God asked them, or they could, they could resist. There were many that gave and some that didn't. And we saw a shift here from talking about giving to actually giving as the people willingly brought their offerings in our message last week, which, called, which was called a wise investment. So this morning, we're going to continue in Exodus chapter number 35. We're actually going to finish up Exodus 35. And this morning, we're going to see the faithfulness continue. And what we see is that example that was set by those that gave their offerings is now going to be transferred over to the craftsmen, right? These artisans, these skilled artisans are going to be called out to do the work. There'll be one in particular that's going to be focused on this morning, but they're given an opportunity to take their times and their talents and uh, they're going to be able to be able to, to do the work of the Lord. And our message this morning, which is called a labor of love, a labor of love. Let's pray. God, I thank you, God, for directing us to the book of Exodus, Lord, over a year and a half ago and walking with us step by step. I know that it has been an incredible blessing to me personally, and I pray for my brothers and sisters as well. Thank you, God, for the, the power of the Internet to be able to share these messages, to have them not only uh, get to our, to our members, but, Lord, also for them to be shared with, with family and with friends. And I would ask, God, that you'll speak to us through the message. I know you've spoken to me this week through the Word, and I pray, God, that you now speak through me, that I not get in the way that there not be a human element in this message, Lord, that this would be purely from you. God, I thank you for the opportunity to share. And Lord, I know I, I feel unworthy, but I pray, God, that you help me just to disappear, that, Lord, you might speak in Jesus' name. 
Amen. All right, so as we continue, this labor of love is the name of this message. And we're going to be, as we looked last week, and we're going to do a little bit of review, right? Review means to see things again. We're going to look and get a different eyes on what we saw last week. What we saw was the heart of the people, God addressing their hearts as he called them for the offering, right? They were given the opportunity to invest in what God was going to have built, the dwelling place, his tabernacle, right, which was going to be his dwelling place on earth. And we saw them respond with hearts to give. And it was exciting because they took action, right? It's one thing to say you're going to give and make a commitment to give, but it's another thing altogether to actually follow through with it. What we saw here was it comes down to this. It comes down to choices. They were given the opportunity to give. They were exhorted to give. God challenged them to do so, but he said, do so with a willing heart. And those that had a willing heart, they did come through. And we saw the choices, and we compared that choice last week to our choice in receiving Christ as our Savior. If you're a born-again child of God, there was a day, there was a time when you realized your need of a Savior. You realized that because of your sin, you were separated from God. And because your heart was broken for that knowledge of understanding of who you were and realizing that you had no solution but only through Christ, you made a choice to receive Him as your Savior. It's a matter of the heart. Well, guess what? Giving was also proven to be a matter of the heart. And that's what we're looking for. Every part of this life that we live really comes down to a matter of the heart. So what we're going to look at again here is this, our tendencies and our struggle against our selfish tendencies. We all have them. Everyone struggles with it. Every single solitary person. We have a tendency to look at things and sort of think like this. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? What am I going to get? How does it affect me. The world we believe sometimes, we believe it rotates or revolves around us. And what we see here is God's trying to shift the people off of that selfish mindset and teach them how to have a, how to have a heart like he does, a heart like God. And what we saw was a large part of the man, not only were they willing to give, but they actually came with a, with a joyful heart. They, they joyfully gave. So now as we jump into Exodus 35, verse 30, what we're looking at now is now the challenge to the craftsmen. We're going to look at the attitude that they had in response to the challenge. Exodus 35, verse 30 says this, And Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. So first of all, what I want us to notice is, is this initial call is not sent out to a giant Workers' union, right? It's not a cattle call for everybody to get involved. It's actually a public announcement towards a single individual, right? A single specific named individual. And what this shows us is God has a specific plan and purpose for each life that he creates. In Proverbs 16, 9, it says this, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now, there are some of us that may look at ourselves, and we may, you know what, say, what could God possibly, possibly do with me? You just don't understand who I am, Pastor. You just don't know what my background is. You don't understand where I come from or what I've done. And what I want you to know is we met a man that just, in the, in, just in the very recent past. Christine and I were in the Florida Keys. And when we were down there, we were, we were traveling, going down on the long road, and we happened to pull off into a dead-end street. And there was a man that we met there, a man named Mike. Hey, Mike, I pray God you're watching this. And Mike had an attitude of, 
a desire to, to, to talk and the, and the door opened that we might have a conversation. But what happened when we shared with him and we talked to him about what the gospel was and what God had done in our lives and we asked him if he'd be willing to see what God had done and we could show him what the gospel message was, Mike said no. With tears in his eyes, he said no. And what found out was the fact that he did not feel worthy. It wasn't that he wanted to reject God. He just did not feel worthy of God's forgiveness. I know the mindset was, you know, how could God forgive me for all the things that I've done? You understand, Mike was, was in the military. He was actually in Vietnam War back in the, in the, early, in the late 60s. Mike's 70 years old, and on a dead-end road in the middle of nowhere, he thought he had no worth. He thought he had no value in God's eyes, but the good news is... God sent somebody to the end of that dead-end road that might share the truth with him. And praise God, Mike's heart was broken for the gospel. And he received Jesus Christ on that abandoned road. So praise the Lord. Why did God do that? Why? Because guess what? God has a purpose and a plan for every life. And that's the thing that Mike now understands. Praise the Lord. Psalms 139, verses 13 through 18 say this. For thou hast possessed my reins. This means God directs the creation of life, right? Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. He forms every life. Verse 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. The Lord makes no mistakes and creates every unique individual life, praise God. My substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, the Lord knows and lovingly forms every life in the womb. Thine eyes did see my substance. Yet being unperfect, and in the book, in thy book, all my members were written, and in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. The Lord envisions every life before it's even formed, man. He has a plan for it already, and every detail is made special. Verse 17, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. God's boundless love is the same for all of his creations, praise God. And verse, verse 18, if I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Whether it be on earth or whether it be in heaven, the Lord's love does not change. For you see, when God created us, it was a labor, a labor of love, a labor of love. And when he's asking us, and when he's asking Bezalel, right? He wants him to embrace his purpose. He wants us to embrace our purpose in front of God, in front of the world, in order to fulfill it. Because he does a little. Guess what? He's being called out here. He's being challenged to step up for the task at hand. And guess what? God's doing the exact same thing to you and I as believers. He's calling us to task. But what is our task? Now, I'm glad you asked. That's a, another very good question. You guys ask good questions every single week. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says this, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This is what's called in biblical terms the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And this command, this is it for just a specific group? Is it just one or two folks? Is, it, is this just something for preachers or for pastors or for, for evangelists or missionaries? That's another very good question. Let's take a look. Now, I want you to listen to these two challenges from the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul as they're going to challenge the church. 
1 Peter 3.15, speaking to the church, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I don't know about you guys, but I know the hope that lies within me has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. So a story of him and the reason, the very source of our hope is the gospel of Christ, man. We're able to face the ugliness of this world, the confusion and the darkness because of our relationship with him. That's the reason. We're able to have hope in the midst of hopelessness because of the promises of God's word. Look at this in Colossians 4, verses 3 through 6. With all paying also for us, that God would open, up, uh, open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, Paul says, that I may make it, my, make it manifest as I ought to speak. He says, look, pray God will open up an opportunity for me to share the gospel. Verse 5. Speaking to us, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, with them that are without, redeeming the time. Be careful to share while you have the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Seasoned with salt. What he's saying is, you know what? Let there be enough salt in that conversation that makes them thirsty for more information. They want to know more. We want to share with them the truth. That's the desire. That's God's plan for us, that we share the truth of the Word of God of who Jesus is, right? God saved us. He saved us for a purpose. He wanted to tell us to tell others what God's done for us. And it's not that we're gifted speakers or Bible scholars, right? It's not that at all. Because we think, why well, do we know what to say? You don't understand, right? It's not because we're talented or skilled or special. It's because you and I are walking, talking miracle. Bottom line, that's who we are. We are a redeemed, forgiven sinner who's now righteous in the eyes of God. Praise the Lord. How incredible is that? It's important for us to remember who we were and where we came from. Remember, almost 19 years ago, I remember who I was. You would not have wanted to know me. Who do we used to be? Let's just take a look at what the Bible says who we used to be. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And you hath he quickened, right? Speaking to the church. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were spiritually dead. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan himself. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, speaking of the lost world. Disobedience, speaking about disobedience to God. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past and the lusts of our flesh. When it says conversation there, it doesn't just mean what we say. It's the way we live our lives, our conversation of our life in times past in the lusts of our flesh. We followed our flesh. We followed our desires. We did what felt right to us in the moment, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature because of this fallen, fallen, because of Adam's sin, because of the fallen nature of humanity, were by nature the children of wrath, not of love, even as others. Look, we were just like the lost world, man. We were the lost world prior to God. Here's the good news. Some of the two of the sweetest and most amazing words in the Bible. But God, 
But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, listen to this, even when we were dead in sins, we did not deserve it, but by God's grace, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, man, redeemed us from the lost world to be children of God, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord, man. Guys, if you are a child of God, then this is your story, man. This is our story, and it needs to be told it needs to be told. And I know some of you sit there and you go, you know what? <laughs> Not me, man. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I wouldn't know when to say it. I don't know how to say it. I'm not qualified. I, I, I mean, I want people to go to heaven. Yes, yeah, sure, but you don't understand. I, not me. But yes, yes, you. Because guess what? You have just what the rest of us do. You have a story. You have a story just like I do. August 11, 2001, God stepped into our life and changed our forever. God saved our souls. And what we do is we tell who we were before. It's your testimony. Who was I before? What was my life before? What were my hopes and dreams then? What was my, what was my brokenness? Then well, how did I meet Jesus? How did the Savior come into my life? And then, hey, who am I now? Who was I? How did I meet the Lord? And who am I now? There's your story. That is an amazing thing to share with people because guess what? Everybody can understand what it means to be broken. Everybody knows what it means to search for hope and to meet somebody who's actually found it. Wow, what does it do? It brings hope to the hopeless. That's who Jesus is. Romans 15, 13 says this, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Lamentations 3.24, listen to this. The Lord is my portion. He's all I need, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. Therefore will I hope in him. Praise God. And the darker the world gets and the more desperate people become, what's awesome is the more powerful God's message becomes. The more hopeless someone gets, the greater their desire for hope. How wonderful that God has given us hope. Now, in the book of Esther, which we studied a couple of years ago, we went all the way through the book of Esther. In that story, we saw how a young Jewish girl was taken, taken out of her land, and she was placed right in the very heart of a pagan culture, right in the middle of it, man. No, she could not have been more in the center of this thing. Esther had no business being where she was. But guess what? She was the wife of a pagan king in the midst of a pagan culture as a good Jewish girl. And guess what? She had no business being there, but yet the Lord, the Lord allowed it. The Lord had a purpose. Now, why would he do that? Because God always has a plan. She was literally surrounded on every side by things that stood contrary to her own beliefs. Absolutely contrary. Now, does that sound, does that sound at all familiar? If we were to put ourselves in her shoes, can we see that maybe our culture more and more stands directly contrary to what, belief, what we believe? Because bottom line is, from a Christian perspective, this world's not getting more godly. It's getting less godly. It's becoming more counter towards the Lord. And in Esther's culture, she had an enemy named Haman. Now, Haman was dead set 
on destruction. He wanted to destroy her people, the Jewish people. He worked through deceit, he worked through deception, and he worked through influence. He was working to destroy them. And what we saw here was God had placed Esther at just the right place, right? Exactly where she was because he had a job for her. There was a specific thing that God had intended for her. You see, what was interesting about Esther is Esther, she had the ear of the king. It was, it was her husband. She had the ability to speak to him. Now, it was dangerous. If she went to him and he didn't accept, if he was not ready to receive her, he could kill her. But bottom line is, she was willing to take a risk. If she was willing to risk her life and speak the truth, she could save her people. But I'm telling you, she was conflicted. She was afraid. She looked at what was going on around her. and She allowed the cares of the world to, to influence her. But I want you to notice this. Her, her advisor, Mordecai, sent her a note, and he said this in Esther 4.14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, he says, look, if you stay quiet, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. God will bring them somehow. He'll help them. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Listen to this. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? What Mordecai is saying, hey, Esther, maybe this is the whole reason why you're right where you are. Maybe we know destruction is supposed to come, and they're supposed to wipe all of us out. Mordecai included was supposed to die. And he said, but maybe this is our opportunity. Esther had to make a choice. Take a step of faith and speak up, right? Or she could, she could remain silent. And because she did speak up, a situation that appeared completely hopeless, right? From a human perspective, there was no hope. But it actually became the most incredible picture of salvation in the Bible. It's incredible. She was driven, driven by love. And let me tell you, as born-again believers, the Lord has us where we are for a reason, man. He has us here for a reason. We have no business being in this world. This system of this world, guess what? It's run by our enemy. And guess what? He hates us. He hates us. He wants us destroyed. You see, we represent the Lord. And because of that, we're never going to fit in. We're never going to be accepted in this world. As long as you stand for God, we'll never be accepted on this world. Never. John 15, 19 says this, If you were of the world, speaking to the disciples, speaking to us as Christians, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. The world hateth you. You see, God chose us to live in this culture and at this time, now, as we saw before, Esther was in a tough spot. She was someplace she didn't need to be. But God had a purpose and a plan. Why did God put us in this culture at this time, exactly where? As the world plummets towards its destruction, guess what? We have been given an incredible opportunity to share hope with the hopeless. As believers, man, we get to tell the good news to people who don't think there is good news. There's a way of escape for those who are willing to to listen. Someone shared with us the truth one day and we received it. We heard it and we responded. But just like Esther, guess what? We have to be willing to risk ourselves, to stand against the hostile culture that we face in order to tell the truth. Now, that isn't always going to be easy. But I want you to know the devil has this world held captive. They are wrapped up. They've been lied to and they've been deceived. And they need the truth. The truth of the gospel of Christ. That's why we're here. All we have to do is be willing to speak. Just like Esther, we've got to be willing to step up. But it comes down to this. It's about 
choices. Guys, this is, this is our time. <laughs> I mean, this is our opportunity. Esther stepped up and did what she was supposed to do, and there was a great deliverance. God has placed us at this time in this culture for this time for a deliverance. I don't know how many will receive it, but guess what? If we keep our mouths shut, there will be none. We've got to be willing to speak. We've been given the talents. We've been given the experiences in our own personal life. We've been given our story of salvation to share for such a time as this, man. And guess what? It's to be done. Not out of duty. Not even out of fear. But it's to be done as a labor, a labor of love. God loves us, and he wants us to share that love with the world. The question is, you know, will we seize it and take advantage of this opportunity or will we let it slip through our fingers? In the end, it comes down to this, choices. And as we saw and as we look at Bezalel, guess what? We saw that God has him right where he's supposed to be at just the right time and at just the right circumstance for him to use the abilities and talents that God's given him for such a time as this. And he was given a labor of love to build the tabernacle. So God's gifted him with his talents and his abilities, and he's given him all that he needs in order to do the job, right? Just listen, right? Now as God, now we hear about how God has prepared him, verse 31. And he hath filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and all manner of workmanship. God created each of us and uniquely gifted us. Guess what? For the job at hand, just like we see with Bezalel, just like that, God has got us ready. Verse 32, and to devise curious works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in the cutting of stones, to set them and in carving of wood, to make any manner of cunning work. So we see that Bezalel, man, he had been gifted with a multitude of talents. I mean, that's ridiculous. The guy can do woodworking, he can do sewing, he can do gold, he can, I mean, basically he can do everything. Cut stones, you name it. He's got all the skills wrapped up. And there are some of you out there, and man, I tell you what, you have got, you have all, you're like, you're like Bezalel. You can do, you can do everything. I have very limited skills. God, for whatever reason, this is, this is one that God's given me, and I'm doing the best that I can. I don't always do great, but you know what? I'm doing my best to share the gospel. But guess what? There's some of you that are just, you got, you got everything. You can do it all. My wife is one of those people. My wife, I don't care what you give it to her. She can figure it out. She can do it all. Man, I thank God for her. The fact that God saw fit to put her in my life, right? Because God knew there's no way that I could do what I do without her help. I mean, it is absolutely impossible. She personifies what the Bible covers in Genesis 2.18. We talk about something here in Genesis 2.18. It says, and the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I will make him and help meet for him. Let me tell you, Christine is my help meet. She fills that void in my life like you would not believe. And what I want you to understand is if you're married today, or if you're going to be married, you have plans to be married, you don't know. Bottom line is, the Lord gave you the spouse that he did because guess what? He has the gifts that he's given you and the gifts that he's given them so that you can fulfill and complete God's mission. God has a mission for us. Genesis 1.28 tells us what it is. And God blessed, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Look at that, replenish the earth. And there's a whole message behind that, and we'll get into another time, the word replenish. And subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and of the fowl of the air and over every living thing that move it upon the earth. It was to be a, a labor of love. And you see, it's only when we lose sight of our mission and we begin to focus on our own personal goals 
that we see the, the gifts that are given, they, they start to become unprofitable, right? They start to become unprofitable. And what's amazing is when, when we're on track for the Lord, boy, those gifts of the husband and the gifts of the wife, they work beautifully together. It's an incredible system. But when we get our eyes off the Lord, guess what starts to happen? The very same gifts, the very same gifts that God gave us to complete the mission, well, guess what? All of a sudden, they start to become the, the points of contention in the couples. Suddenly, what this person used to do that used to be a blessing to us suddenly becomes something that we're frustrated by. And what's incredible and so sad is the fact that the very gifts that God gave to unify this couple become the things that they'll use to justify their separation. It's a misappropriation of God's gifts that takes something that was created to be loving and beautiful and turns it into something hateful and ugly. How do two people go from being in love so much so that they're willing to commit their lives together on a throne before God one day stand yelling and screaming in anger at one another? The same gifts, the same abilities. But what happened was the life did not stay on track for the Lord and what God did and what happened there? The devil took, took advantage of those issues and he just twisted it. And he took what was created by God to be beautiful and he made it destructive. God gifted us. And the gifts that we have, they're not for us. When we lose sight of that, it brings destruction. We get selfish. The gifts were given to us for God and for his glory. So if we stay mindful of the fact that we can experience the abundant life that God intends for us, it's the way we do it is through walking with him. Instead of wasting our time trying to do it our way, which, by the way, always leaves us empty, we can surrender ourselves to God's way. And if we do it God's way, we'll be amazed at the results. And what we see in Bezalel is not only someone who's, uh, who's been extraordinarily gifted, but that he also has a willingness to share his gifts. Look at this in verse 34. And he hath put in his heart that he may teach both he and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. So the Lord has not only put Bezalel in place, but he also has Aholiab in place as well. And what we see here and understand is the fact that God, he understands the thing, the, you know, the idea that uh, with teamwork makes the dream work, God. He understands there's a, there's a profitability in a multitude, right? In, com in combining efforts and talents, we see that the, the efforts, once combined, are create a, get a greater or multitude of results. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12 explain this to us. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fail, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if we two, if two, and if two lie together, then they have heat, and how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And if you're a leader, guess what? You have to understand the fact that God wants us to, to, to lead. What we find is we can't do everything on our own. Many of us, as we've led in times past, what we'll find is if we're immature in our leadership, we'll believe, you know what, if I want something done right, I need to do it myself. It's one of those phrases we hear all the time. If I want it done right, I'm going to... Do it, my, do it myself. And I'm going to tell you guys, I, this is an area where I really, really, really struggled. I was the kind of person that I would just do it all, do it all myself. And guess what? It does not work. Let me give you some insight. Not only does that create undue stress on you, but it creates undue stress on the people that you lead. And it actually demotivates people that you're leading because you're not trusting them. Now, this can be true at our jobs, but most certainly in our homes. 
as parents. Colossians 3.21 says this, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Lest they be discouraged. So as parents, we've been given a crucial, a crucial job. Very, very important job. And it's to be done as a, as a labor of love. And I was watching TV, and I saw an example of something that was really hard to watch, actually. But it was a mother, and it was talking about mother's love and the way that a mother loves. And what we found in this show was there was a young man who was in middle school, and he had written his paper. And this was one of those, those cameras they have set up, and they're watching the family. And you're just watching this thing play out. And the mom's sitting down at a table, and she's writing. And the son walks into the room, and he's like, Mom, what are you doing? And she said, I'm rewriting your paper. And he said, but Mom, I mean, I try, I, why don't you just let me do it? Let me fail. I'm not even in high school yet. Why don't you let me at least try? And the mom said, because it's not good enough. So instead of letting him do it, she wanted to step in and do the work for him. She's not helping her son. She's denying him an opportunity to fail because failure is one of the greatest teachers in life. Through either being hypocritical or untrusting, we can discourage our children. It is our job to help them to become the best servants of God that they can be. That's what our role is as parents, right? And if we lose sight of the mission, which is to develop them to be servants of God, that they might recreate and share the gospel, and we switch it from God's desire unto our own desires for them, and what happens? We start to think of the, you know, we get worldly, we start thinking self, well, I want my kids to be successful. I want to be a doctor or a lawyer. And we start looking at worldly success, and we lose sight of the fact that if we do that and we focus only on the world, we're doing them a horrible disservice because we're taking away the very thing that they are created to do. We've got to be careful. As parents, we've been entrusted with these young lives not to fulfill our hopes and dreams for them, but God's hopes and dreams for them. Remember, God created them. God created them for a purpose, not your purpose, His purpose. They will fail, absolutely. They will disappoint us. But you know what? That's just a part of life because how many of us failed and disappointed our parents? Failure is a part of life. Disappointment is a part of life. But I want you to realize the fact that our job is to point them to the Lord. Why? Because guess what? He's the best parent of them all. He's the best parent. Because when it comes to our Heavenly Father, when you and I, when we fail, which we all do, in spite of ourselves, He doesn't criticize. He doesn't berate us. He doesn't just focus on our failure. Neither does he step in and do, for it, do it for us. No. What happens with God? Our Heavenly Father will encourage us, right? He will encourage us to try again, to get up and dust ourselves off. And he'll support us through the process that we can grow. He patiently teaches us through our failure. And the Bible, that's called, we see it in the Bible, called the long suffering of God. That is one of the most beautiful traits of him. And I'm so thankful for God's long-suffering. I would not be here otherwise. And now Bezalel and Holiab will train the workforce to complete God's tabernacle. Verse 35. Them hath he filled with the wisdom of heart to work all manner of work of the engraver and of the cunning workman and the embroider in blue and in purple and scarlet and in fine linen and of the weaver, even of them that do any work and of those that devise cunning work. They're qualified to teach everybody. This building project was to be taken on with the same joy and the same exuberance that the offering was given. Man, they're just, they're fired up about this. They're ready to do something for God. This was an opportunity for them to give back to God what he had given them. It was to be a labor of love, right? That's their desire. And when we consider all that God's called us to do in this life and all the roles that we play in this life, do we do them as a labor of love? If it's as a, as a parent, 
if it's as an employee, if it's as an employer, as a neighbor, as a friend, as a brother or a sister, or even as a minister. And the desire of our church is that every member be a minister. Minister means you care for somebody in a spiritual sense. You're there for them. You care for them. You love them. We share the gospel. Then you are ministering. But do we fulfill these roles for God's glory or for our own? Do we patiently display God's love to those we interact with, stranger or otherwise? Or are we short with them because we have an agenda that drives our thoughts and our desires? For you see, God created us, gifted us, and saved us to reach the world. That's why we're here, man. That's why we're here. Our problem is that we forget that commission, right? And we forget that commission because we become so enamored with the world. We start to see all the things around us, what other people have and the way their life is going. And we look at it on Facebook and we see all these things and we get so enamored with the world that we lose sight of why we're actually here. Because you see, the world, the world feeds our flesh. Mm. Makes it feel fulfilled and excited. And it tempts it and it lures it. Either through appeal or through fear. But either way, it has our attention. It has our attention. It's kind of like this. If you're with a little, you got a puppy, right? If you have this, whatever has our attention, guess what it does? It has our control. If I have a puppy and I've got a little piece of meat and I hold that in front of the puppy, I can move it this way, that way, up, down, and guess what? His head is going to follow. And if I walk across the room, he's going to follow me. You and I are just like a puppy with somebody having a piece of meat. When we look at the world, we get our eyes so caught on the world that whatever the world tells us, guess what? We follow. And we lose sight of what it is we were called to do. You and I have got to be careful to put our attention on the Lord and not on this world. It's not until we get our eyes back on Him that we can start to see the world the way He does. And we can start to get our eyes back on the mission. Because I'm just telling you, one of the traits of the Laodicean people in the last church age is the fact that they are blind. And I'm as blind as anyone in this world. I constantly struggle with having to get my eyes off the world and get them back on God. Because guess what? My flesh, just like your flesh, every day it loves to get distracted. Every day it likes to be lured. Every day things are placed before us. So guess what we've got to do? We've got to stop, put ourselves back in place, focus ourselves on the heart of God, and seek His face. And as we seek His face, guess what? God will start to allow us to see the world the way He does. And when we do that, guess what it does? It changes us. And it shifts us out of our desires and our wants and starts to help us to have the heart and, God, the heart and, and, the heart and eyes of God. Matthew 9, 36 says this, But when He saw the multitudes, this is Jesus looking out, He was moved with compassion on on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus has compassion on the world. When you and I are caught up looking at ourselves, we have no compassion for the world. We're only compassionate for ourselves. And God's saying, hey, I want you to see it the way I see it. This world needs Jesus. Why? We looked at this in our study on Wednesday night, Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have the same problem. We go astray. We don't go God's way. We have turned everyone to his own way. And because of that, because that's the result of humanity, because we are those sheep and we've gone astray, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's why Jesus came as the ultimate shepherd, not only to shepherd us, but to lay down his life for us. And what we see in the body of Christ Right now in the world today and the people that we interact with is the fact that, it's, that they're undisciplined, right? We are undisciplined as a church. During this church age, we are undisciplined. We are prone to wander, man. 
Our eyes are always floating all over this world. We're so filled and consumed with so much stuff. Christians are falling away from the things of God and they are falling headlong into the things of this world. Headlong, every day. As I'm preaching this message, there are people that have probably already clicked off. There are folks that are going to watch this recorded because guess what? Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, it was just too much to ask to get up and watch the service. God forbid. Because you know what? There are cares in the world that are more important than the things of God. And that's a trait of all of us. But guess what? It doesn't have to be. We can make a choice just like Bezalel will make a choice. Just like they made a choice to give their offering. You and I get to make a choice. We stand for God or we stand for ourselves. If you stand for yourself, you will always be disappointed. If you stand for God, I promise you will be blessed. It comes down to this. It's about choices. Remember, Jesus came to save the world to any and all who will believe. Romans 10, 14 says this, How then shall they call on him and whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on in him of whom they have not heard? And shall they, how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without a preacher? Guess what? That's where you and I come in. When you share your story, when you give someone a church track, when you give them the website, whatever you do, you're sharing the gospel, man. That's God's heart. It's why we're here. And I'm begging you, let's get the main thing to be the main thing in our lives. If we allow distortions and distractions to lead us, we will be so disappointed one day when we stand before the Lord and you say, why didn't you share the gospel? And you say, well, you know what? I, I meant to, I intended to, but you know what? Just so much stuff came up. And when you're in heaven, guess what? All that stuff that came up, it won't be important. It will not matter at all. You won't even remember what it is. You ever going to fight with somebody and weeks later you try to tell somebody what the fight was? In the fight, man, seemed like the most important thing in the world. You know exactly what you're arguing about. But a couple weeks down the road, what was the argument about? You know, I don't even remember. Because guess what? It doesn't mean anything. And all the things we think that are important in this world, they don't mean anything when we get to heaven because God's going to say, what did you do for me? I sent you there to share the gospel. I sent you there to reach the lost. I sent you there to care for the broken. I sent you there to have compassion upon those that are hopeless. Share the hope with them. But we're so consumed with filling ourselves with the garbage of this world that we lose sight of our mission and we sit there and go, you know what? Man, I should have. I could have. I would have. But it didn't. But it didn't. I don't want that to be our story. I want us to speak up. Praise the Lord for the opportunity he's given us. We've been given all that we need to do the job God's called us to do. We have everything we could possibly need. Now, will we allow our selfishness and our love of the world to cause us to shirk our responsibilities as we remain silent? Or will we stand against the tide of our culture? Will we stand against the tide of our culture and tell this hurting world the good news of Jesus Christ? That's the question. Listen to me. When our hearts are willing and we're lovingly walking in submission to God, man, sharing the Gospels, <laughs> it's no longer a big deal, man. It's not an inconvenience. It's not a hassle. It's not work. Guess what it is? It's a labor of love. That's the whole thing. God sent us here with a purpose. He created us with a purpose. You have a purpose that is so much greater than you can possibly imagine if you would just simply take hold of it. The Bible tells us what it is. Go ye into all the world and teach nations. God, teach them the truth. Let them know who Christ is. 
You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to have biblical knowledge. You don't have all that stuff. But if you are a born-again child of God, you've truly received Christ as your Savior. You have a story. Share your story. Shine. As Wednesday night we talked about it, and I showed you that example with the light bulb. Shine, guys. Shine. It's why we're here. Time is short. We're not promised tomorrow. Not one of us. The Bible says that life is like a vapor. It appears for a short time and then it vanishes away. It's an illusion. Tomorrow's an illusion. For those people that died today, they thought they had tomorrow. And guess what? Today we all believe we've got all the time in the world. But God could rapture us out of here right now or we might die in a car accident. Who knows what could happen? But this could be our last day. Are we going to waste it chasing the cares of the world? Or are we going to realize, you know what? God's given us a job to do. And it needs to be a labor of love. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, God, for giving us the opportunity uh, for speaking to us, Lord. I know that uh, today is, is maybe not the easiest message, but Lord, it's something we all need to hear. And God, there is a, a labor to be done. There's a job to be done, God, and it's to be done with love. The Bible says share the truth, share the truth in love. And God, I pray that you help my brothers and sisters, help us all step up. As Bezalel was called out of the crowd, Lord, he stepped forward. And Lord, as you call us out of the crowd to stand, and as you put someone in our path, God, as we will see them and we'll see that opportunity open before us, help us to step up into that role. God, help us to share, at the very least, our story, the good news of the gospel. There's a hopeless world outside of these doors. And God, they simply need hope. And it's spelled J-E-S-U-S. God, I pray that you'll help us, Lord Jesus, to stand, help us to shine, help us to make a difference that, uh, Lord, is eternal. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, you know, I don't know that I am a child of God. I mean, I believe in God. And that's, if you believe in God, praise the Lord. But I want you to tell you this. The devil believes in God, but the devil's not going to heaven. It's not a matter of just believing that he exists. It's a matter of submitting our heart and our will to God, realizing the fact that we're sinners. Bottom line, the Bible says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, we all have the same problem. And God loves us right where we are. And the Bible says, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us, even though we didn't deserve it. The wages of sin is death, unfortunately. What that means is what we earn because of sin. Sin separates us from God. No sin can be in heaven. And guess what? If you're a sinner, and we all are, we can't be in God's presence. That's why Jesus came. And the back part of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That gift is offered by grace. And by faith, you receive it. And if by faith you're willing to receive Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that he is ready, willing, and able to receive you as we speak. When he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This lost world does not know any different. If you're like Mike and you had a broken life and you have a past filled with regrets, guess what? It does not matter. God's seen them all. And guess what? He loves you anyway. And he's willing to receive you right now. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, not might be saved, not could be saved. It's a promise from God. And as he reaches out to you and you feel that tug on your heart, it's a matter of you to respond. God's done his part. God's reached out. His arm is reaching out to you just like this. And as he reaches out to you in love to receive you, you've got to be willing to reach out. He's not going to do it for you. You've got to make the choice. Just like every other thing in life, we get to make choices and God gave us a freedom of will. So we get to choose. You can reject him right now and say no, like Mike did. But praise God, he changed his mind. Or you could do what he ultimately did, which is say yes and receive it. 
And with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. And it's not a religious ceremony. It's not a special prayer. There's no magic behind it. It's a matter of the heart. God's listening to your heart. It won't be even the words that you say or the words of the prayer. It's the heart. If your heart submits to God, God will save you right where you are. So with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to pray out loud. And what I want you to do is repeat the prayer in your heart or in your mind or out loud. It doesn't matter. And as you do that, if you'll mean it, God will save you. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know, I know in my heart that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done things wrong, Lord, and I'm sorry. And I'm asking you, Father, right now to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to pay the price on the cross for me, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being willing to die for me. I turn from my old life, and God, I turn to you. Help me live anew. I die to myself that you might live through me. Help my life shine into the darkness. Thank you for saving me. Lord, I pray that you'll use my life for your glory. And I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.